This podcast is proudly sponsored by the Stillbirth Foundation Australia and Community Care Kitchen. The content shared in this podcast represents the views of the Still Nest and our guests and may not specifically reflect the views of these organisations. Please seek professional medical advice for any clinical circumstances that may arise. Welcome to the Stillness Podcast, a place of solace for bereaved parents and their communities. I'm Dr. Fatima El Assad, a researcher and a bereaved parent. Losing a child can make you question everything your identity, your faith, and your place in the world. On this show, we will explore the complexities of child loss particularly within culturally and linguistically diverse communities. I'd like to hold space for bereaved parents to be seen, heard and understood. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Peace and God's mercy and blessings be upon you. As with all our episodes, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the Eora Nation and their ongoing custodianship. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge that this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. In today's episode, we'll be exploring birth trauma on the birthing parents. If you are triggered by our conversation, I have linked resources in the show notes for you. We are discussing difficult experiences often unheard, so please take the time to check in with yourself and get the help you need. Now today I'm joined by an expert in midwifery and birth trauma. She's actually a very special friend of mine who I've met several years ago and we've only just reconnected recently over our passions for minimising the effect of birth trauma on parenting. Welcome to the Still Nest, Rakeem. Could you kindly introduce yourself? Thank you, Fatima. My name is Dr. Rakeem Elmir. I am a senior lecturer at Western Sydney University. I am also a mother of three beautiful children. I am Lebanese Muslim, and I am one of six siblings, five sisters and one brother. And I am also very passionate about researching about birth trauma in mothers, fathers, and also health professionals, particularly midwives. I'm very passionate about ensuring nurses, student nurses and midwives are prepared for graduate practice in midwifery and nursing. I coordinate placements for midwifery students. And I'm also currently researching the understanding and knowledge that nurses and midwives, student nurses and midwives have about cultural competence. My previous research also involved researching mothers' experiences of severe postpartum hemorrhage and emergency hysterectomy, and also father's experiences of witnessing their partner go through traumatic events. I have also looked at midwives' experiences 
of caring for women who have an obstetric emergency, that is a life-threatening event at the birth, and also, as I mentioned, looked into nursing and midwifery education. Rakeem, you're in such an important area of research, uh, particularly around the psychosocial impacts of birth trauma on the parents themselves and also the support healthcare team, particularly midwives. Just uh, for our listeners today, could you perhaps define what birth trauma is and how it actually manifests for the mother in particular? That's a really important question, Fatima. I just want to emphasise to the audience that the majority of births, there will be no complications. But unfortunately for a small number of women, they will experience what we refer to as birth trauma. Birth trauma is really anything the woman says is traumatic, and that can be as a result of the interactions and actions of health professionals and also what the woman perceives is happening during the event. So the woman can, may also have experience what we call birth trauma if, if it's a straightforward, normal birth with no interventions. When women experience birth trauma, unfortunately, it can affect their, their selves, how they perceive themselves, their relationship with their baby. That has also a psychosocial impact. They may be hypervigilant. They may experience some sort of anxiety or apprehension and also depression. Some women may also overcompensate for what has happened at the birth if, for example, they have had a caesarean and their heart was really set on a normal vaginal birth. As I said, they may overcompensate and want to then breastfeed and keep breastfeeding up until extended period of time. They will also hover over their newborn baby and, and, and co-sleep with their infant, their baby, and not wanting them to be in a separate room to them. They may also take full responsibility of care, not enabling their partner or father to also participate in the baby's cares. So that can put a lot of pressure on the mother and um, really sets her up then to unfortunately the impact of these psychosocial um, uh, events on her. Rakeem, one powerful thing that sort of stands out to me when you describe that is birth trauma is essentially what the woman perceives to be traumatic. Even if she ends up with a healthy live baby, she could still experience birth trauma. What are your thoughts on that? From my previous research and from just speaking with women and also um, almost two decades working as a midwife, women want to be listened to, right? Um, they want to be heard. They want to participate in decisions related to their care. Often they're not. They're just talked to, not consulted, and um, decisions are made without their input. So that's why when women have a straightforward normal birth, it could be, again, related to the interactions, actions that, uh, as a result of health professionals. 
Um, and it can also be due to lack of preparedness too. I always encourage women to research about and also educate themselves what birth is, what pregnancy is, the, the growing fetus, what they need to do to nourish themselves, to nourish the, the fetus. And so we've done previous research and lack of preparedness often results in women having these feelings of anxiety and depression because they don't know what, what it involves. Now, you're doing some really, really important work around fathers as well, and they're often overlooked in some of the conversations that we have about birth. Could you give us a little bit of info around the impact of the father's role? Uh, I think people underestimate the the role of the partner, the father. I think for the purpose of this podcast, I will refer to fathers if that's okay, Fatima. I know you can have other partners, but but my research has been around fathers um, as a partner. So when I researched fathers' experiences of witnessing their partner go through a traumatic event, the main findings that came out, Fatima, were that fathers were unprepared for what was to happen. They were unprepared for a normal birth. That's, you know, when, when there were... Um, no complications at all. And then they were faced with the catastrophic event of seeing their partner almost bleed to death or seeing their partner fit from an eclamptic seizure. That's when a woman's blood pressure goes up very high and unfortunately she then starts to have a seizure. Or it could be that their baby also needed resuscitation. So these events really, really highlighted that men are not prepared for being there in the birth room. Um, And what was interesting was that health professionals at times did not include them in the decisions related to their partner's care. So they weren't informing them about the events So that also then did not help uh, the situation in terms of what they were seeing and also comprehending what was going to happen to their partner, what was going to happen to their their baby. This one father mentioned that he kept, he had a vision of his wife passing away and being left with this baby, raising this baby alone. There was also another father that mentioned that he just could not cope with it anymore. He came back home without his partner uh, and also without a baby. And he kept thinking, how can he sort of end his life? So these men um, also experience post-traumatic stress disorder. That's when someone has flashbacks, nightmares to the event and also suicidal ideations. What was interesting about the fathers is that men want to be there to support their partners, the women. They want to be there to support them, to protect them, uh, because they feel as though that's their role of um, being a partner, a father, 
um, and also part of their masculinity as well. For some fathers, they feel as though they feel emasculated. They didn't feel like a man because, again, they weren't given any options to participate in decisions related to their partner's care. So um, it really does have important recommendations for midwifery practice um, and also maternity that we really need to include fathers from the beginning, from the first antenatal fixet. I think an approach needs to be taken so that both mother and partner, expectant dad, are included in all decisions related to care. Akeem, how do you see that happening, considering that some of these views on fathers and their role in the birthplace are a little bit entrenched in some cultural beliefs, as well as you're saying, you know, a systemic sort of attitude within the healthcare system that this is women's business. How do you see this changing? Look, I, I think that also just adds another element of complexity when a father a partner is from a culturally and linguistically diverse background. I think, you know, particularly for some migrant and refugee fathers having migrated to a different country, I think it also just adds that um, letter of complexity in terms of language and also being in an unfamiliar environment. We need models of care, Fatima, that tailor to the needs of culturally and linguistically diverse couples run by potentially culturally and linguistically diverse um, health professionals, midwives and doctors, and if not, at least embed a culturally sensitive, culturally competent element to these models so that women and their partners feel comfortable and are able to um, have that open disclosure with the health professional so that they can ask questions and um, be well informed of the events during pregnancy, uh, during the labour, birth and the postpartum period. Because complications can happen during pregnancy um, and also in the postpartum period. A woman is at risk of bleeding a postpartum hemorrhage up until six weeks postpartum. So we, I think in, in some cultures, we tend not to uh, educate girls and women before they give birth or before they um, are married. I think that we need to, there needs to be a cultural shift. There needs to be, this is about educating our next generation of girls and boys. Again, so they are informed so that they can seek the support that they need. Rakeem, that's such an important point that you make there. You know, um, if I'm going to just throw in a bit of a faith-based thought here where the family unit is the, the unit that makes up a community and that community is what makes up our ummah. And if the family unit itself, these are the parents, are still struggling through this trauma, then what is the state of the community and what is the state of the ummah, you know? And I think it's so important that our families know that they've actually got options, that it's mapped out for them, it's clear, it's in a language that they 
can understand and also they feel empowered without the shame and stigma surrounding some of the stereotypical views that we do have on, you know, what a father's role is in that space. Do you think that we are ready to sort of be able to start seeing um, fathers seeking a little bit more help or education around the birth and potentially the postpartum period? I hope so, Fatima. Uh, Look, what I am seeing now from when I did my first study on fathers, that was 10 years ago, to now is that there's a lot more support for fathers and fathers are willing to come forward and talk about their experience and say, this is the support I need, this is the support I want and why didn't I receive this support? They are also coming forward and saying, I'm not feeling right about myself, right? Um, So they are speaking up. There is so much discourse around it takes a village to raise a child, but it also takes a village to um, care for mother and, and father. They need that social support network. If they don't have that strong social support network, unfortunately for some couples, then they will have that psychosocial impact on them, yeah? Uh, unfortunately, in some, if we look at the social determinants of health, they need to have that good health literacy. They need to have good support network. They need to be able to access good health services. Okay, um, not all couples can have that or are able to access that, but some do, some do. Um, I think we need to involve fathers as much as possible because when we involve fathers and support fathers, we then support the mothers to be able to then support also the infant. We need to support the hand that rocks that cradle, Fatima, and really look at them as a as a trio, so a mother, father and also infant. Goes hand in hand. It is so important um, just going forward that I hope that anyone that's listening is just sort of realizing there are so many factors that can impact the child. And the biggest one is actually, you know, the health of the mother and the father. Brakeem, do you see a role for spirituality and faith influencing some of the decisions being made in that birthing suite, especially around a traumatic birth? I think so, Fatima. I think it's really important that we, again, we we need to look at what is the, what are the couple's preferences in terms of their faith and spirituality, right? So just through my experience as a midwife, traditionally a woman from Muslim faith tends to have a larger support of people supporting her and she she might not necessarily want that it's not her preference but it may be that either her um you know she's been maybe coerced into having those support people there uh, and so we need to again look at really um, advocating for the woman. So if it's health professionals, really advocating for the woman. 
are they really of benefit having their support people there? I always have a look at, okay, what are the role, what is the role of a support person there at the birth? What are they doing as well? Are they just sitting there um, reading the newspaper on their phone? If they are, they're probably not the best support people to be in there, right? But if they're in there um, and they're reciting Quran and they're being of benefit to the woman in labour, then yes, you know, I think that's I think I think that's great. We we really again just need to go back to what are the preferences of both the, the woman and her partner and um, look at providing the most culturally competent safe care. Do you think someone sitting in the birthing suite, you know, um, as a hypothetical support person, potentially coerced to be there thinking that that is the best thing for the mother? Um, reading a newspaper impacts the energy of the mother when she is labouring and giving birth? Oh, absolutely, yes. So we, I always say to women, it's important that you're very relaxed during labour, right? And then I also go on to, to ask, well, what sort of things will make you relaxed? And sometimes the women will say, look, I'll let you know we came a little bit later. And then I think, well, why do you want to tell me a little bit later? It's not until the support people leave the room. And then the woman will say to me, okay, now I can disclose to you what I really want to say. I don't want those support people in there with me, Rakeem. You can automatically see the, the shift of energy and the relaxation on the, the woman's face as well when those support people are not there. You know, they've done a lot of research now during COVID and the impact of COVID on, on women and one of the things that has changed is the number of support people in the room. And for some women, this has been actually something that they've welcomed, that they're happy, they're happy that only their partner slash one support person is permitted in and that there's, there are no visitors permitted. So I think we just need to be considerate and mindful of what the, the woman wants as well and her partner and allow them to really bond as a family unit. Allow them to have that safe, very safe and precious time because it really just passes by so quickly. You know, some of these support or perceived support during birth is very entrenched within some cultures. How does a couple navigate having those difficult conversations and keeping the the dynamics of the family relationships, you know, still intact. But um, uh, you're right. We've got a lot of work in that space to do. It will need to be a, a very big cultural shift because, again, in some cultures, it's very much a women's business, and the women will be there at the birth as well. And certain um, family members will be there or feel as though they have a right to be there. It's about really, I think, going back to, you know, honouring the mother's wishes as well and um, what what is best for her. For me, as a Muslim a midwife, I can I can advocate for a Muslim woman and ask her whether or not that's her preference 
to have X number of support people there at the birth. For women that I've visited at home after they've given birth, then I can also have those conversations with women. Uh, but I, it, it's a difficult one, Fatima. That is really difficult. Um, I think we still have a lot of a lot of work to do in that space uh, because um, it's not easy to change culture and cultural views. No. No. I wanted to just um, highlight that it's not a religious thing at all. In fact, our our faith actually does honour the mother and puts her first on three levels before the father almost, right, in terms of preference and reverence. So it's just that we want culture to sort of catch up and also put the mother up there in the way that it was ordained originally. Rakeem, what, what does the mother go through after she's delivered a stillborn in terms of the postpartum experience? Is it very similar to when you actually have a baby in your arms that you get to take home? Yeah, so look, from about 16 weeks gestation, a woman will start to produce colostrum, right? Uh, for women who have stillbirths, they will go through the same postpartum uh, physiological events as a woman who would give birth to a live baby. So they'll experience the postpartum bleed or lochia is what we refer to it as. They will still be at risk of postpartum hemorrhage. Their milk will come in at about day three unless they are given medication to stop the milk from coming in. They may still experience the postpartum blues um, at about day three. They may still experience postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety. This is a fragile woman that we need to care for and also acknowledge that she has given birth to a baby. You're right, not a live baby, but still a baby nevertheless, and we need to nurture her. We need to honour the, in the Muslim religion, it's the 40 days. It should be still the same thing. Honour those 40 days that, that the woman has just given birth. See what she needs, requires to also nourish herself. Like I said, she's still going through the past part and bleed. Um, she's still producing milk and she will still have those hormones racing through her body. She won't be in that normal state of um, she won't be her normal self. There shouldn't be that expectation of, okay, well, there's no baby now. This woman should be absolutely fine. There needs to be some sensitivity that comes with caring for this woman. Um, some women are not offered midwifery support or support after they have a stillbirth. I think that needs to be um, looked at, revised, Fatima. Yeah, so there needs to be, again, a lot of work done in this space still. Uh, and I think the woman also be, needs to be kind to herself. Give yourself some time, you know, just to take it all in. It's not easy. I think coming home, coming home where you thought you would come home, back home with a baby, but you're coming home with a with no baby and there 
an, an empty cot, I think it, it's not something easy uh, that one comprehends. It's one thing, you know, having to go through a stillbirth, but then not having that understanding that your body is still going through the same postpartum experience as somebody who has gone home with a baby. And that lack of understanding really can compound the trauma that a couple or a mother is experiencing after she has gone through something like that. All those bowls of soup, those, um, you know, calls of help, people knocking on your door to come and see the baby. When you go home with none, unfortunately, all of that also ceases as well and it's probably the time when the mother actually needs it the most and I still refer to her as a mother because she is a mother it's just that her arms are empty. Rakeem I wanted to say thank you so much for your generosity today and being able to explain to me and take me on a journey as to the impact of birth trauma on parents and how important it is to really Think of the family as a trio. We need to really support the parents so that they can raise their children in a healthier way. And also to highlight how stillbirth and the impact of that can actually go way past the birthing suite. And we really do need to change our mindset towards couples that do go home with no baby. Thank you, Rakeem, for your time today. It's a pleasure. It's such a blessing to hear you. Thank you, Fatima, for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Stillness Podcast. Some of the topics raised in this show can be difficult. If it has left you with any questions, please message me on Instagram at thestillness.au. Please subscribe, share, rate and review this podcast. It means so much to be able to share these stories. This podcast is produced, edited and recorded by Corey Green of Transducer Audio. And now I'll leave you with a little prayer. Inna lillah wa inna ilayhi raji'oon. Allahumma ajurni fi musibati. We belong to Allah and to Him we shall return. O Allah, recompense me for my affliction and give me something better. Take care.